Welcome to PwC's accounting podcast series. I'm Heather Horn. Today, we're talking about what investors want to see in financial statements. What areas of a company's communications are they focusing on most? What new information are they seeking? And how the increasingly talked about topic of ESG fits in. Answering all those questions and more is my guest, Gregory Johnson, a PwC director leading outreach to the investor and analyst communities. Gregory's the lead author of our popular print publication, You're Saying It, Our Investors Hearing It. So after you're done listening to our discussion, I highly encourage you to check out that publication as the perfect companion to what you'll hear in this episode. With that, let's get started. Gregory, thanks so much for joining me today. And given the timing of release of our podcast, I know a lot of companies are sort of at that stage in their year-end reporting where they're getting ready to finalize financial statements, finalize their filings. And this is a good point in time to be thinking about making sure you're taking an investor lens to what it is you're reporting. So With that in mind, can you set the stage a little bit for us in terms of the current environment and perhaps some of the things that would be top of mind from an investor perspective? Thanks a lot, Heather, for having me. And from an audience perspective, I just want to clarify that uh, we'll be talking about investor perspectives from not only uh, large institutional investors, but from uh, sell-side analysts and credit analysts. And we have this new or growing kind of investor segment in retail or individual investors, which we've seen a lot of volatility over the last week or so. And individual investors coming into the market in droves um, over the last year because of the pandemic and technology allowing uh, people to freely trade. And the number uh, of retail investors is probably a a fifth of overall um, trades over the last year, which is almost double what it was like 10 years ago. So I just wanted to make that point. And also from a context standpoint, I think it's good for us to kind of just take a quick look back on where we came from and the issues that investors were focused on. If we go back to the start of the pandemic, where we had virtual lockdown, uh, investors were focused on, obviously, which companies were going to survive, where their liquidity positions were, that they have access to capital, et cetera. And then as we fast forward through last year towards the uh, Q3, we saw some stabilization there. We had infusion from a government funding standpoint, but we also had other things like social unrest going on which caused a little bit of uncertainty. And then as we move towards year end and and where we're at now, there seems to be much more cautious optimism on where things are headed with some caveats, because I think that we have a couple of wild cards out there in terms of vaccine rollout, new variants of the coronavirus and what impacts those will have on the market. And a lot of investors are really focusing on the rollout of uh, vaccines because any stumble in that could obviously have an impact on what happens with companies and consumers demand, et cetera. So uh, we do have some wild cards, but I think overall there is this cautious optimism to uh, what's going to happen for uh, 2021 uh, with companies. Given all of this uncertainty, if I'm leading reporting and thinking about how I want to communicate with my investors, all I can think is like, how am I supposed to know, right? <laughs> so there's so much uncertainty. And I was interviewing Roz Brooks, our public policy lead, and even she was talking about no one really knows. So with that in mind, 
what are investors looking for from a company recognizing that it, it is hard to predict what's coming next? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the big question becomes how and when do you get back to pre-pandemic levels of of growth and revenue from a company standpoint? But as you pointed out, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think from an investor standpoint, they just want the best information that they could get from companies on where the company stands currently and where it's going. So a word that I hear a lot of is resilience. How resilient is a company in this current environment? Have they uh, pivoted, for example, in terms of their product or service offerings? Uh, Have they changed their strategy? Uh, Is it long-term changes to strategy or is it more of a bridge? Are they looking into new markets? Are they diversifying their product line, for example? There are so many things that companies have to look to. And not only that, they have to deal with a changing constituency base because there's a lot of stakeholders. So again, the focus on technology and how they're integrating technology, not only into operations, but their online strategy. Are they upskilling their uh, staff? And uh, what is the investment going to be there? And how are they addressing other back-to-work matters like what is the office of the future going to look like or the office of the near future and what investment is that going to take from a company standpoint? And I think the other topic is um, what happens with supply chains. We saw a lot of supply chain disruption last year and are companies changing their supply chains? Are they getting backups? Are they moving more global to regional or local? Uh, I think from an investor standpoint, they just want more information from companies in terms of how they are approaching these issues. And again, qualitatively, is there information that can be communicated to the investor community that helps them come up with their own perspective on where companies are headed? Yeah, I think that's good perspective, Gregory, and use the word resiliency and think that uh, was a theme for companies and individuals last year. And I think even as we look at the beginning of 2021, staying resilient is probably something that's important, again, both from a personal and you know, a a professional level. So Gregory, let's turn our attention though, a little bit to another topic that we've spent quite a lot of time talking about, and that's really been prevalent in the news, and that would be ESG. And I was actually thinking when I was looking at our notes, the first time I did an interview on ESG for the podcast you know, we carefully defined what ESG was. So I think we're all beyond that. I think our listeners are aware of what that stands for. But in terms of developments, it's definitely something that's tough to keep your hands around. And so where do you see investors focusing and and where do you think companies should be focused right now? ESG becomes a complicated landscape from a a couple of perspectives. One is when you talk about the components of ESG, obviously we have different aspects of it in the E, the S, and the G. So companies may be good in one area and maybe not as good in another area. And that's one kind of broader thing. But then how investors are using this information or the information that they want to get from companies on ESG becomes another layer. So for example, this whole uh, topic of Uh, ESG really largely driven uh, from the agendas of large institutional investors and, and pension funds where they want more information from companies on climate or what they're doing from a social perspective, you know, including diversity, et cetera. And many uh, investors will say, well, we've incorporated governance all along. It's really the environmental and the social that becomes a consideration right now. 
but different investors want different information. So the institutional investors are driving it. However, uh, credit analysts and sell-side analysts are now looking more closely at how they incorporate ESG factors into their overall analysis or their credit ratings. And uh, they want to get some comfort from companies that um, they are moving in the right direction from an ESG perspective. And then there are other aspects of it. So if we look at kind of ESG investments in general, ESG funds or exchange-traded funds, a lot of passive investments from uh, an ESG perspective that focus on ESG, that entire uh, market has exploded more than $20 billion last year, which is up more than double where it was just a year ago. So there's a focus on ESG investing. And we layer on top of that, there are really changing societal expectations of companies and what companies should be focused on. So we have this whole movement towards more of a net uh, zero emissions and more consumers, employees, and other stakeholders of companies really want them to focus on these issues. So now a company has to decide, how am I going to report this, which gets to one of the factors with ESG, because there's multiple frameworks and standards on reporting ESG. So a company really needs to decide which framework I want to report under, whether it's the SASB standards, GRI, TCFD, and each of those really focus on different aspects of ESG reporting and where does the company want to report and which framework it wants to to use, which becomes a factor for the company to consider as it moves forward with ESG. And I think the last thing I'll say here, Heather, is that there are different ESG rating organizations as well. So you have organizations that are providing ratings on companies based on public information about the company, as well as surveys that they do of companies. So companies have to also wrestle with whether they want to complete surveys that are sent to them from some of these um, ESG organizations, and they have to be cognizant of what's happening with the public information that they're putting in the marketplace because it all goes into information that rating agencies are using when they uh, produce ESG scores. So then, Gregory, it's interesting. You highlighted the fact that sometimes we clump ESG, so it's you know, this is one thing, but really there are the different aspects. And one of the aspects you and I have spent time talking about is the social part of ESG and including diversity and equity. And I know we're seeing a lot more disclosures in this area, but what do you continue to see from investors and what are they expecting from companies? Clearly, it's a top of mind issue when we talk about uh, the social aspect, as I mentioned, from an ESG perspective. And obviously, diversity and inclusion um, has risen to the top of that discussion because we have more of a, a call for more diversity um, at top levels of management within companies, as well as um, the makeup of their board. So we're seeing a lot of movement there. I think, first of all, I'd like to say that there's a lot of companies who are voluntarily providing information on their diversity statistics. So again, you have a large institutional investors that really pushed a couple of years ago to really get several organizations to agree to report their uh, diversity statistics as part of their EEO reporting. We've also seen uh, some states implement uh, requirements for more gender or ethnic diversity on boards uh, from the California state as well as Washington state. And even as recently as late last year, we had the NASDAQ proposal in which NASDAQ proposed to the SEC uh, a rule that companies report their diversity statistics as well as have 
diversity representation on their boards or explain why they don't. So we have different pushes from different areas, not only from investors, but from other stakeholders, as well as from a policy standpoint. So clearly, this is an, a matter that's going to be front and center going forward. And for certain industries, it's going to be more important than other industries. For example, the technology industry has, the last couple of years, there's been calls for more diversity from a a technology standpoint, the technology industry. So yeah, definitely a topic that we will be continuing to talk about, I think, on future podcasts and quarterly participation in our webcast. But then, Gregory, why don't we turn our attention to our more bread and butter areas, and that would be the regular financial reporting and disclosures. What are you seeing from investors as they're looking at the financial statement? Yeah. And again, I think that there are a couple of areas that go across uh, industries or that are more prevalent from an investor perspective that they're interested in. Obviously, the CECL um, standard, because of implementation uh, last year, a uh, area of focus for investors. We did some early kind of outreach and continued outreach with investors uh, to get their expectations uh, of what companies should be reporting from a CECL standpoint. And the feedback at that point was they wanted to get more, and still is to some respects, more insight into the key economic assumptions that banks are using, the large banks are using to come up with their reserves, more insight on the scenarios that companies are using to develop their estimates. Uh, Really, they're interested in, you know, how can they come up with comparable measures to look across uh, companies? So, for example, what's happening with forbearance and accounts coming out of forbearance, and then uh, we received some or investors received some key information uh, in January with some of the early earnings releases from uh, the larger banks in terms of uh, the announced uh, releases from their reserves, which was some information that investors had uh, been asking about and were curious about. So Cecil, uh, a top of mind issue particularly for financial services. But I think a learning point with that was that investors are not clearly understanding all of the nuts and bolts of standard setting. And I think companies have an opportunity to really to help to educate users about how they are approaching some of these standards, the assumptions they're using. I've heard several times from uh, investors that they're just looking for information on scenarios and what are the key inputs. So I think that that could go a long way for companies in their uh, financial reporting. Um, Supply chain finance arrangements, uh, a topic that we've talked about a couple of times on these uh, podcasts and, and part of the webcast is an area of interest for investors and uh, more so for uh, credit analysts where they're looking at um, supply chain finance arrangements and wanting to make sure that those are properly disclosed because they look at those arrangements as debt-like and they want to make sure that they incorporate that into their credit analysis of companies. So they're clearly focused on that from a credit analyst standpoint. A couple of other areas that we've consistently heard some feedback on, uh, one is segment reporting. Investors generally understand that it's a management uh, function of how they're uh, running the business, and uh, they just want to have more information on rationale from the companies of how they set up their segments when they make changes to provide a nice rationale for that, that's transparent for them, and also to provide a similar level of detail for disclosures related to the segments. 
So that's one of our evergreen topics that comes up. More recently, been hearing more about acquisitions. Now, uh, obviously, acquisition activity slowed down during 2020, but investors really want to know post-acquisition how companies are performing. Are they meeting the intended output upfront for doing the deal and more information on how the acquisition is performing post-deal? And I think the last um, area I'll mention here is the new human capital uh, disclosure rules. With that, in talking with investors and analysts late last year and early this year, they really weren't aware of the rules coming into play, which again gets back to that point of they may not be aware of or top of mind as some of the accounting policy folks at companies. So again, it provides an opportunity for companies to be a little bit more descriptive and provide qualitative input, but certainly given people costs to uh, companies, uh, investors are really interested in seeing what is reported by companies from a human capital standpoint. We did some work from a PwC perspective looking at early reporting on the human uh, capital disclosures, and really the vast majority of uh, companies gave demographic information in terms of employee base and geographic distribution but uh, less than half, um, at least at that point, had descriptions of their diversity in terms of gender diversity or racial equity diversity. So again, that shows this potential gap between expectation and what companies are reporting. But those are just a sense of the uh, the top line issues. Well, so that's enough, especially considering, um, you know, those are all very big ones. One thing that came to mind, Gregory, when we were talking is, you know, when we saw in 2020, a lot of companies pulling their earnings guidance or, you know, backing off from it, or as I said, playing it completely, any sense for what we may see in 2021 or are we seeing companies start to give guidance? Do we expect them to? And, and what about like sort of what's the current outlook? Yeah, I think predictably um, companies pull back on guidance given that they didn't have the visibility. I think there hasn't been much change in that area in terms of additional guidance. There have been some companies that have reinstated guidance, but what I'm hearing mostly is that companies are really still don't have the visibility that they would like from a guidance perspective. But from an, an investor perspective, what they would like to see more of is, again, uh, what are the scenarios that companies are looking at? What are the variables that they're looking at in their best case, worst case, middle of the road case? And to that extent, any information that they could provide to uh, the investor community is welcome. All right. So then, Gregory, this, you just talked about a lot of different things. And I think it, it's kind of easy to get overwhelmed. And definitely if I'm a listener, sort of like, okay, well, what do I do with all this information that we just talked about? So where do you think companies should be focused? The, the top line item from my perspective is providing as clear a picture as possible on the outlook for the company, because that's obviously what investors are looking for is, you know, from their perspective, where is the company going? Is there growth possibilities, et cetera? I think the other area becomes um, stakeholder engagement or shareholder engagement. I think reemphasizing that from a company perspective. Again, up front, I talked about the changing expectations of companies as well as the changing investor base. So I think that's an area for companies to focus on as well. Our um, annual corporate director survey showed that board members are getting more involved in these conversations with key shareholders. So clearly something that is of importance to the board and companies. So I would say stakeholder, shareholder engagement in the area of focus. And then obviously ESG. 
focusing on what you want to report on ESG. It's becoming a key part of uh, any business's um, strategy or most businesses' strategy and uh, determining what you want to report, how you want to report it, and where it potentially impacts your organization. And the last thing I would say is that all of this, in my mind, really highlights the importance of effective communications, the importance for companies to really uh, zero in on focusing narrowly on communications, making sure they're being transparent, making sure that they are clear about the purpose of the organization and you know, where does the organization stand on some of these really thorny issues like companies' role in society. I think that those top line um, matters are really important for the investor community and areas of focus for companies. So Gregory, it's interesting as you talk about communications, you're talking way beyond just the financial statements or even the SEC filing, but it's really consistency of message then among press releases, even what's on your website, maybe your corporate responsibility report and others. And might throw you for a loop a little with this question here, but again, if I'm a controller, I'm a financial reporting manager, how how would you recommend that if I want to look ahead to a 2021 communication strategy, who who would I want to be working with in the company? And do we have suggestions for how to get ahead of some of that messaging? It's tough to be an executive at a company these days because you have so many issues to manage, so many constituents. But again, communication, I think the IR function becomes a key player in this um, whole communications aspect. The expectations have been raised. The IR function is really uh, looking at, uh, as we do some research, different tools and technologies to keep a pulse on customer sentiment, investor sentiment, and things of that nature. So there may need to be not only people reshuffling or, or people a cost from a company standpoint, but also the technology that goes with that. So I would say keep a, a pulse from a investor relations function and utilize uh, technology when you're thinking about those things. You raise a great point in terms of the different platforms. We didn't talk about social today, but social becoming such a huge factor for companies to pay attention to. Uh, some of our data uh, that we looked at uh, recently showed that more than 80% of investors really look at company social channels and CEO social channels when they're making an investment decision. So the whole keeping consistent messaging across your many platforms is extremely important. There's a lot, but that's what the environment calls for. Yeah. And I guess, again, it's a good reminder that fine, get your you know year-end SEC filings done, and then you can start to plan ahead. And you don't have to do all of this at once, but you can start to look at your broader strategy for 2021 and even your 2021 year end reporting, you know, you don't want to be waiting until this time next year. So great insight today. I'm going to definitely throw you for a loop with my last question, which as you know, will be a little on the lighter side. And I was thinking we're releasing this the week of Valentine's Day. What sort of, I'll call it smaller holiday is when you really look forward to. And I will say personally, I love the 4th of July. We used to celebrate it in a big way when I was a kid with parades and fireworks and everything else. And I still look forward to it every year. But as you look ahead at the 2021 calendar, what's a date that you look forward to? Valentine's Day is a very important um, uh, event in my household because we really we really enjoy Valentine's Day. And uh, it's one that um, uh, from a long time married uh, individual still has uh, meaning in my household. So I'll stick with the Valentine's Day one because that's a celebration day for us. Wow, you definitely warmed my heart with that answer, Gregory. So thank you for that. 
Excellent note to end on. And as always, thanks for joining me. All right. Thank you. Join me back here every Tuesday for new episodes on all things accounting and reporting. And on Thursdays, join me for our Forecast 2021 series for CFOs and controllers. This Thursday, we're talking about governance. Do you know the number one concern on directors' minds today? You hopefully will not be surprised to learn that priorities have changed from this time in 2020. So join me this Thursday to find out the answer. And if you liked today's episode and want to stay informed on PwC's ongoing dialogue with the investment community, don't forget to check out our In The Loop publication, You're Saying It, Our Investors Hearing It. And be sure to visit PwC's Investor View resource page. You'll find links to these resources in today's episode show notes. So that you never miss an episode of any of our podcasts, subscribe to the PwC Accounting Series wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.